Happy Wednesday and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard directed feature, Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host, I'm Chris Henry from the EAA Aviation Museum. And Chris, here we are right in the middle of the 50th anniversary, and uh, I didn't think we'd be celebrating it this way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I don't know if you saw the recent interview uh, that they did uh, with uh, Jim Lovell, uh, where he basically said, you know, uh, we didn't think we'd be celebrating it this way. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I guess Fred Hayes made a joke, and he goes, well, you know, we were always a jinx mission, so it, it, this is a very fitting uh uh, anniversary for us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's wild. I know that the official celebrations at the different different places, like the astronaut scholarship one, has been pushed back till October, as we're recording this October of 2020. So they'll be uh, they'll be reconvening elsewhere. Um, I know the Cosmosphere had a bunch of things planned, but that's all getting pushed off till later in the year. So hopefully, uh, everybody stays healthy and we can get we can get together toward the end of 2020 instead. Absolutely. Uh, but it does kind of feel I, this this uh, isolation and containment does feel kind of a lot like this minute. Um, I don't, you know, I, I'm not listening to Hank Williams, but it's it feels like I've seen everything on Netflix and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's we were we, we've made a couple of jokes in our house that, uh, uh, you know, we've been isolated up and we're just all we need is the uh, tape deck to go floating <laughs> through the room, you know. And uh, I guess it's, instead of Tom. Uh, or Hank Williams, we'd have, you know, Netflix Tiger King on or something yeah. like that. But, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's how, how long can you entertain yourself? <laughs> yeah, that's the ultimate game right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully shows like ours will, will be getting people through it all right. Um, yeah. But we, uh, yeah, we're in, we're in the middle of uh, just a very cold, a cold night on the, uh, uh, on the Aquarius. Well, uh, 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 Hayes and Swigert are in the Aquarius and, uh, Poor Jim Lovell is trying to get a night's sleep up in the very, very cold uh, command module. Interesting minute as uh, as they're floating around with uh, with Hank Williams playing on a on a cassette uh, tape player, which uh, I don't. It, it I know it's 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 a long, long time. Well, it's fifty years ago, but at the time, having a cassette uh, player that was that small and that portable was um, kind of a high end thing to have. That was really uh, the idea of having music tapes. Uh, would be about the same year. Um, mostly cassette tape. Let's let's briefly go into the uh, the history of the cassette tape. Cassettes were invented by the Philips company back in the early 60s, like around 63, 64. But they were built specifically for the dictation market. They weren't really made for high fidelity. They were very they were very narrow uh, tapes, and uh, they really weren't built for um, uh, music. But as uh, as the 60s rolled along, uh, they started releasing music cassettes uh, in the in the later 60s. They, they were they were known as music cassettes. They weren't recordable. They had uh, if uh, I, I know our <laughs> I, know, I know our audience demographics keep shrinking, but anybody that was that lived during the cassette days knew that uh, you could pop the tab on top of a cassette that would make it non-recordable. And uh, music cassettes, pre-recorded music with the with the cassette. Uh, record hole punched out didn't come out until 1966 
So they weren't, you know, you didn't have them in cars. You didn't have them. People didn't have Walkmans back then. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was kind of a rarity to use them uh, at, uh, for music. And, you know, NASA was pretty cutting edge by letting the, uh, the astronauts uh, take their music with them on a, on a cassette deck. Um, I think we, we talked with Fred Hayes about choices of music when he was on and uh, I forget, was it, they didn't want Fred's music played or which was the astronaut? So so that was actually on Apollo 12. Oh, um, that, uh, maybe Fred did made some reference to his, but I know on Apollo 12, um, I talked to Dick Gordon and, uh, and Albine, but I talked to Dick Gordon about this conversation about the music that they played. And uh, there was a local band in Houston that they really liked, and they were able to get a recording from them, and they took that up there with them. Uh, They said that uh, Pete liked country music. Uh, Dick enjoyed that local band. He enjoyed uh, one of the ones that the entire crew enjoyed was the Archie Sugar Sugar. And he said that uh, Al Bean had a horrible chase, taste of music, and they wouldn't let him play any of his stuff. <laughs> and uh, so Al Bean said that he, he had impeccable taste of music. So uh, uh, I don't know. I never heard like what band was this, that they didn't like uh, that he liked, but uh, but they said they wouldn't let Al Bean play any of his music. <laughs> so, wow. But yeah. I thought well, it was interesting that they all three agreed that they liked the Archies. Uh, sugar, the, sugar, and if you watch from the Earth to the Moon, they actually incorporated that song into the into their their episode. Yeah, that's quite amazing. And it was I I, I remember at the time that was a big hit, and it's just kind of odd thinking that a cartoon show would have a, a top a top forty <laughs> yeah. song, let alone a number one song. Um, I'm guessing that uh, Hank Williams is playing on here, and that's that's Fred Hayes' choice because that's you know one uh, well he's he was from Biloxi, Mississippi, but one stayed over. Uh, you know, Hank Williams had come from Alabama, and uh, definitely. I would I would think that Fred grew up with uh, with Hank Williams music playing in the background of his life. That's uh, uh, if if you're going to pick you know an ultimate country singer of the early '50s, that would be Hank Williams. I always um, liked uh, the line that uh, our friend uh, of the show here, Brett Collins, says in the uh, uh, in the uh, I think it's right when they first unveil that they have a tape player on board for the live recording and. And he's like, when I go up on Apollo 19, I'm bringing my entire collection of Johnny Cash with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, Hank Williams is an interesting taste. He's, uh, I mean, he had some, you know, I, I always think, I mean, I think the number one song you think of him is, is Jambalaya. Um, yeah. Honky Tonkin was kind of a, that that's kind of a, a deep cut for him because it was, it was made, Hank Williams had a, had a really in, interesting life to say the least. He was, uh, he he grew up in Alabama and uh, he was he did every, he played music he was a bartender he um, he got into rodeo he was a rodeo star and uh, he broke his back and wound up being 4F for World War II because he's, he couldn't he couldn't sit, stand up straight um, huh. and uh, so he, and then he had a problem he was just becoming a hit locally in in uh, Alabama and uh, he all of his band got drafted so he didn't have anybody to, to play backup for him so he kind of he would do you know he was like a one-man band with his own guitar and uh it was difficult for him he had he also had a, a big drinking problem and a, and a drug problem that uh he got kicked off of the radio station that he worked on then he got kicked off by grand old opry um honky tonkin was made for a very tiny uh a record label called uh, sterling records up in uh up in new york city and uh 
he he recorded that it got it, it that that song honky talking got, got him back on the uh on the grand old opry and by the by the mid 50s he had recorded a bunch of other songs um and or uh, i'm sorry by the early 50s he had gotten into that then he made friends with a fellow who claimed he was a doctor but wasn't a doctor but got him a lot of drugs that he really didn't need and um he wound up uh dying in a car on the way to bristol i always thought he died of a of a um you know like in a car crash and they said that he died in a car i always assumed it was a car crash but reading more about him was that he had he had wound up taking a, a bunch of alcohol and amphetamines and he got a b12 shot that had morphine in it uh they climbed into a they climbed into a, a car to go to a, a a show in uh west virginia and the guy that was driving with him suddenly realized that oh hank's dead so it was just jeez that was the end of his you know there he was up and gone and uh you know, at, at when it, when his career had finally started coming back, um, dying at dying at the age of twenty nine. Um, oh my uh, gosh! I never realized he died that young. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at well, you look later pictures of him. He looks like he's sixty, but it's just he's not didn't didn't even make it to to thirty. And uh, you know, just a uh, it's it's a shame because he was such a such a big talent. Like every you know, there's so many stories like that. But uh, just uh, he had a, he had a rough life. So I guess singing the blues was part of just all part of it all and uh, a good a good song to hear and, it, and it's really it's really creepy with the uh, you know the batteries are going dead on the cassette player so he's just kind of droning as uh, as this thing is bouncing around in, in an ice cold spaceship um but that's uh yeah that's pretty much where where this minute is, is we're just watching watching a, a cassette tape float around i, I do, like i, I was like, gonna say i like the uh the scene that's obviously filmed in the vomit comet of uh, Fredo uh, taking like I would probably Tylenol or something, uh, and he's just kind of like letting it float up to him. <laughs> yeah, so. I wonder. I, 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 you know, I, I, I'm sorry we can't get Bill Paxton on the show, but I, uh, I wish uh, I'd like to know how many takes that was because that must have been. Quite <laughs> it's like, okay, let's do it again. You've got 30 seconds. Go. Um, it was it was intriguing watching. That. You know, and and plus, uh, you think about how how they had to get that together. I mean, some of this was. Uh, overlays of your breath frosting but uh a lot of it was just a chilled down uh set that uh you know they they film these things in meat lockers and stuff and you can just move parts of the uh, the the good thing is you don't have to bring an entire capsule with you you just have to bring a certain part of the background and uh uh you know film film these things but you know you had to film it in some place where it was cold enough that your breath would frost um i had a it, it's funny when you when you see the production of some of these uh, elements. Um, a friend of mine worked on the uh, uh, the the Star, Star Trek: The Next Generation show, and he was one of the set one of the set decor. He was like a, he was a carpenter. He, was, he helped build sets. And uh, there's a particular episode where Scotty comes back to be on the Next Generation uh, set, and they didn't have much of a budget, but they had a they had to pretend he was on the old, you know, the original series Enterprise, and they didn't have enough money to pay for an entire set. But they built about a like a six foot wide segment of the set, left to right. They never moved the camera, and uh, they just shot him. They shot shot Scotty at his uh, at his station, and uh, Picard would stand directly behind him and. 
when they cut to Picard, they'd use a you know a, a green screen background, but when they cut to Scotty, he had the one little six foot section of set, <laughs> so they didn't have to rebuild the entire bridge for just one scene. And I, I think I mean it's pretty much what they're doing here. They built like a little box that they could put in the vomit comet and uh, take a picture of uh, Kevin Bacon, you know, floating around or or uh, uh, Bill Paxton eating a eating a pill. It's just, <laughs> it's, uh, it's very you know all this all the that comes from is just great pre-production planning. Um, I'm trying to think what else uh, uh, is happening in this minute. Oh, I mean, we, we did begin the minute with uh, poor Henry from, uh, from NASA uh, public affairs office getting uh, yelled at by uh, Marilyn and uh, you know, right, rightfully so she did, she really didn't need this at, you know, worrying about her husband uh, having, well, having the entire uh, <laughs> the entire broadcast assembly being, uh, you know, wanting demanding construction on, on her yard while her husband is out of town, and I, I do like the phrase that she said, which is also in uh, Lost Moon. That she said, "You can talk to my husband; he'll be back on Friday." Um, yeah, it, it's she's not uh, giving up on them. You know, no, I mean it, that's that's. I, it, I have to think that that is. Um, I mean, obviously, it's her real quote too. Yeah, uh, I mean, but uh, that had to be the mindset of everybody uh, involved in this was, you know, and, and that's, you know, of course, where the spirit of the mission control uh, uh, quotes came from was uh, we're not losing the crew. Yeah, yeah. I mean, tough and competent. It was, yeah, that's the best description of Marilyn, Marilyn yeah. Lovell I can think of. Um, but she, yeah, she uh, she comes across very well. And I think, you know, I if uh, if we do have uh, Jim Lovell on, I would like to ask him how he felt about uh uh, Marilyn's portrayal on this show, but I, th- I think he, I think he would have enjoyed the way that she, I think she comes across as very competent on uh, on this movie. Um, yeah, I, I think so, and I always like, uh, I always like asking. That's kind of my thing. If I have somebody who's been depicted in a in a movie or a show, I always like to know, you know, what did you think of the of the portrayal? And uh, you, you know, uh, another uh, as I ramble into my stories as I do, Jim. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, I asked uh, Frank Borman what he thought about his portrayal in From the Earth to the Moon, and uh, he said I he says I thought it was spot on, and he said and I think the portrayal of Susan was spot on, and and I said you know did you really tell Congress that they were out for a witch hunt and he just kind of gives me this this grin, and he holds up his fingers you know for for two and he goes uh i did it twice <laughs> it's like wow <laughs> like okay ah <laughs> oh, gosh i hope they have a movie about frank borman because it really needs to get him <laughs> on really the show and just do, do yeah he, he, he I, I would watch the frank borman show every day if i could <laughs> i you know when we were out there driving around uh you know some of the times we've been out there um a buddy of mine took a picture as a joke from the back seat maybe we'll we'll share it uh um we're going back to the future, Jim. Oh, sorry. No, that means I have a... <laughs> um, the uh, <laughs> As we were out at his ranch driving around in Montana, uh, a buddy of mine took a picture from the back seat, and I'll see if I could find it and share it with you guys. Uh, um, but it did look like we were filming some sort of modern-day reality show of, like, Life with Frank or something. And, and my buddy posted that as a joke of, like, here's the TV show I'm currently watching. And uh, the top comment was from another friend of mine who just said, I totally watched this show. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, being led around by Frank, you know. 
But See, well, uh, I there's so I mean, you, you, when you, you you turn on Netflix or Hulu and things, you, obviously there's there's <laughs> much better shows that could be produced. We know yeah. we know that now. So yeah, exactly. the, the time is ripe. So if you can get out there yeah. and somehow, if we just don't don't you know, if we could have like uh, plastic screens between each other and just do do. Mo- movies and show like this i think a lot of people would watch <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, wow well uh i think we've squeezed everything we can out of this minute and uh, you know here on the 50th anniversary is the time we're we're publishing this uh it's uh it's really it, it's really amazing going back that the immediacy of this still even hit 50 years later it still hits you as like what a what an amazing accomplishment they did in getting back despite all you know all the things that were going on and uh, you know, in, at the time of this movie, they still haven't solved the uh, carbon dioxide problem. So, uh, just uh, yeah, it's it, it's amazing how I, I watched this movie again last week, and it's amazing how even even when you know how it turns out, you still kind of get to the edge of your seat worrying about them. Yeah, I um, still get emotional at the uh, uh, you know, not to give anything away, but uh, you know when you hear them chime in and say, you know, hello, Houston, and, and good to see you again, like, and Mission Control kind of goes nuts, like, I, that's still an emotional scene. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, they made it back. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary yeah. with the guys and stuff. And <laughs> I mean, and, uh, but it, it's, you know, it's still powerfully filmed. Yeah, no, and I think that's why, I think that's why so many people return to it. Uh, so many times. And it's on a lot of people's, you know, DVD shelves and, and it's still on their, on their favorites list and, and whatever streaming they're using. It's such, it's such a great movie that you can watch again and again and still get that, get that emotional lift from it, which is a great thing in, in times like these. Uh, well, well we got, we've got a lot more to talk about in this movie. And uh, so if, if everybody would join us back here tomorrow, uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, we're always available on the uh, social media at uh, Mission Contr- uh, Apollo 13 Mission Control out on Facebook. And, of course, Apollo 13 Minute on Twitter. Uh, subscribe over on uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any of your other favorite pod uh, distributors, uh, and we can get this to you hot and fresh every day, Monday through Friday. It uh, looks like we're coming up on uh, Lost of Signal in about 30 seconds, so we will see you here next time on the Apollo 13 Minute.